beat it on tuesday before halloween so i think that was the 27th through 28th yeah, i feel like did you play a creepy season game? did you play a creepy game on halloween i don't think i played anything yesterday man you had to see this you should have lied just come up with like i played fatal frame or something come on for the show michael do it for the show i'm already introduced michael introduce yourself hi michael i've I've been on this show since the beginning. <laughs> yeah, but we always got to make it nice and easy for uh, new listeners to the, understand the differences between our very distinctive voices. Who's jumping in on part two of the Dead Space discussion? You think it would start on part one and then get a feel for us there? You know, Michael, don't don't talk about the analytics to the to the impl- um, to the uh, employees. Listeners. Yeah, whatever, man. It's a long day. I was up real late on Halloween, and now I'm trying to get myself up and running. Uh, as you can tell, Nick is not with us. You know, he uh, we talked about last time that he's going to sit this one out. I'm still convinced it's because he was scared. I don't, I don't care what he says. He was scared. But those, he will those be demon back. babies really got to him. Those demon babies. They man. almost got to me. To be fair. Yeah. So I think he. Uh, but he will be back for the next game for sure. So we're looking forward to having. We him told back. him what it was uh, early, so he would have a head start on it. Yeah. As well. Yeah. He's probably already done with it. Just waiting on us for this time um but definitely uh thank you guys for coming back for part two we had a really great response on part one just some stuff up top uh as we go down towards the end of the year we've been talking about doing some special episodes doing some cool stuff coming up and playing around with the format thank you guys for the feedback we got some really good uh reviews and stuff like that on this episode i really Mm -hmm. appreciate uh everybody who did that it just helps us get kind of a feel for what people like and what they don't like so definitely um Feel free to comment on any of our social media stuff, uh, reviews on iTunes. Um, the biggest thing that we always say, tell a friend. Tell a friend about the show. That's all I ask. I don't ask for your money yet. I ask for you to tell your uh, tell your friend. Um, Michael. Yes. Jumping right into things. We finished Dead Space. We did finish Dead Space. Overall, you feel how you feel about Dead Space going into this this oh, second part. Overall, uh, taking this entire game as a whole, I like Dead Space. I'm far from loving Dead Space. I'm also like, I don't dislike it. There are sections of this game, mainly in this chunk, that I did not like at all. But roughly, that translates to about a third of the total time with just this section so i am pretty positive on dead space i like this game i don't think it'll be a game i ever go back to at all i want to eventually check out dead space 2 maybe dead space 3 just to see why that game is so divisive but you you know i like dead space (laughs) i said when uh we said that we were going to do this series that i was like i'm a dead space fan and i remembered a lot of things about dead space 2 I remembered a little bit about Dead Space 1 in a really positive way, and uh, Dead Space 3 I remember nothing positive about. Um, Replaying Dead Space has kind of put the series back into a context for me, 
and it's at the point now that I really feel like I need to go fiddle around and play two a little bit and see if my memories line up with actually how I I feel about the series because while I enjoyed playing through this I, I did it didn't leave me the same way that I my memories thought it would you know mm. I remember this series being a really big deal for me and really liking the first game and definitely liking the second one a lot but here there's parts of it that really felt like a slog like I, I, I agree absolutely yeah. Mainly chapters uh, nine and ten were yeah. just so dense. We'll we'll talk more more about it later, but just the encounter design, I think, in nine and ten took like a nosedive to the point where they weren't structured as interestingly as they were in the first half. It was just like let's just put some guys in a room, and you can't leave the room until you kill all the enemies. Um, we talked about this with Alan Wake, which is a game that we all really like. Oh yeah. Um, well, Alan Wake got to a point where the combat stopped feeling like it was intentional. Like, we talked... We, one thing I remember bragging about in Alan Wake is that everybody who you fought had a reason for why they were where they were. So, like, you would fight people at the gas station. It was the gas station attendant guy that you were fighting. And they would have dialogue, yeah. like, possessed dialogue that kind of reflected what they were doing. Like, you, we talked about, like, what you're in the woods and there's a hunter saying, it's rabbit season there as he's, like, hunting you down with a shotgun. <laughs> we really remember that it was rabbit season. <laughs> um, but, God. yeah, and that was something we really bragged upon. And then at the end of the game, that kind of went out the window and it was just people, like, everywhere that you were having to fight. And it really kind of made the game more of a slog. I think Nick really brought up that it really kind of made five chapter five of that game really difficult for him to enjoy. Mm -hmm. This kind of fell into the exact same thing. Well, in the first few chapters, the enemies are not all over the place. When they show up, it makes sense. I feel like they're... they're intentional. I feel like somebody really thought out why this enemy should attack me right here. And this second half, there was just part, there's spots where it's just like, hey, here's 20 guys because we need to give you a big fight. And in a survival horror game where a lot of the tension is being low on ammo, it's like all of a sudden every long wrong shot you do is a substantial increase in chances that you're going to have to replay this entire section over again. Like if you release one shot on the line gun, oh, you lost your chance. Well, this this encounter is a lot harder for you now, which in on paper for a survival horror game, that's great. Every bullet counts, but just in room, but in these like monster closets where they just lock you in, that's not fun at all. Not that any every game needs to be fun, especially horror games, but there's a point where in chapter ten where I if I wasn't playing this for the show, I might have just I might have just quit and been done with this game. You really bring up a really good point about ammo consumption. Okay, so I was looking at the achievements after I beat this game, mm -hmm. just to see kind of like I always look at the achievements. I I'm still I still like achievements, um, and there's an achievement for playing the entire game with the only weapon you use is the plasma cuddle, and I'm gonna give you kind of like Eric's grand secret for how he got through this game because I got through this game in like seven and a half hours, like it did not take me long at all. I think it was about an hour behind you. I think it was somewhere between eight and eight and a half hours. Yeah, you did bring up a good point before when we were talking that you don't think that counts deaths, and I'm pretty sure it doesn't either. So if there's any deaths, I don't think it counts. But the game 
has an achievement for just using the plasma cuttle. Around chapter, I think eight, beginning of uh, chapter eight, late seven, only thing I used was the plasma cuttle. I fully upgraded it and only bought ammunition for the plasma cuttle. It gets the job done. Yes, it does. Because if you don't do that, the game gives you ammunition for all the guns, but not enough of it for like one particular one to be really fully kitted out. And you're basically in a situation where I never have the ammunition for the gun I need. Like I have a ton of flamethrower ammunition, but I don't really need that for most of the game. And I need more plasma cuddle, but I don't have it. So it's almost like it's better to just limit yourself to a single tool set. Which is the least fun way to play the video game. It's the problem of the jack of all trades versus the master of none. Like I was doing for most of this game. I've had four weapons that I was kind of upgrading along the way. And so I ended up with, instead of one really powerful weapon, I was with four relatively underpowered weapons for the section of the game. So then I did what you did. I was like, wait a minute. This is basically the starting pistol when we were talking last time about the starting pistol in Resident Evil. How, oh, just get the red nine and upgrade the red nine and then you're set for the entire game. It's, so, yeah, it's the th- so then put all my stat points from there on now into health and the pistol. And then for the last two chapters of this game, it was mainly smooth sailing. and I was having a great time with it again. You would almost be better off. I think the game is more enjoyable. If the only thing you do is use the plasma cuddle. I think so too. Don't buy any of the other weapons. The force gun helped me out quite a bit just because the alternate fire on that is basically a exploding air cannon where you shoot a cannonball that just like explodes and just knocks enemies back. That's really good at helping me with like crowd control. But yeah, if I could have just alternated between those two weapons and probably been better off versus trying to upgrade four weapons at a time. The flamethrower was my like useful for the little like face hugger kind of enemies and stuff like that where you can just burn them. Um, that would be the only weapon I would like consider taking with me other than the plasma cuddle. But also by having all that extra funds, it allows you to purchase the suits, which are must-buys. Like, you need the suits as quick as you can. And uh, more health and ammunition and air ca- you know, canisters, things like that. I think the game is more fun doing that than if you try to use all the different weapons. Which is a shame, because that's not how you should really design your game. I should enjoy using different weapons for different things. I just didn't really find a lot of the weapons to be that useful um and going back to combat design there is moments where they're just like throwing 20 or 30 enemies at you and if you did not purchase a bunch of ammunition or anything like that it's just a whole lot of running around looking for ammunition in the middle of a fight baiting enemies around corners and it's just it gets rid of the fun of this game which is the horror you know, creeping down, you know, abandoned hallways, and it just kind of makes it a slog. That was the one biggest letdown. The second thing I did notice, though, is this game backloads its story. Yes, it does. Big time. Absolutely. <laughs> we talked about in the first episode, there was, like, very little story to talk about. Does the plot twist at the end of the game really even do anything for the context of the story? I mean, it's like, oh, uh, your girlfriend's been dead the whole time. That really doesn't change, like, and Isaac really feels terrible about it, and because uh, it's mainly the uh, artifact that you're dealing with is kind of like uh, 
reveal it's showing you what you want to see so that you put it to it you put the artifact back where it's supposed to go essentially is what i took that as uh, the okay let's talk some general story stuff because it's implied in the video you're, you're only watching the video up to a point the entire game yeah and so you would run off the assumption isaac has seen the video before he got to the ishimura he has seen the video all the way up to the end that shows Nicole kill herself. Correct? I believe so, yeah. And then when you get to the Ishimura, Nicole is popping up and you're running on the assumption, even though, okay, I knew the twist because I have played this before. Also, you knew the twist because, because I made... looked up the chat because <laughs> trying to divvy up the chapter thing. Uh, on Google, it listed all the chapters in uh, order, and if you just look at it, it spells uh, it spells Nicole. Nicole is dead. Yeah, all the way through, and you're just like looking at it, going, "All right, I guess we're gonna stop at chapter six And you look at it for a second, and go, "Oh wait, no, come on." <laughs> the administrative <laughs> side of this podcast got you. It's like, "Hey, here's for the Excel spreadsheet," and oh crap, here's all these stuff I didn't want to know. Um, Basically, but. I'm going to tell you right now, they don't do a great job of, like, not making Nicole obviously something wrong. Because, like, mm -hmm. Nicole's this weird spectral figure the entire time you interact with her. There's one cool bit, like, in at the beginning of Chapter 7, you run into Nicole and you have to protect her. Whenever she's hit by an enemy, her health doesn't go down. Is something I noticed. Like, the her uh, line on the back that reads her monsters, whenever she's attacked, it doesn't go down. That would be really, really cool if that was intentional. I really hope. I it hope. Is. I think it was because that's something. Having no knew the twist because I was spoiled from my own uh, need to well, research the chapter of this yeah. podcast. But when I noticed that, I was like, "Oh, that's really cool." I hope that's intentional. I imagine it would be. I hope it is intentional because I feel like I don't remember back when I played this the first time. And if someone does this played along with us or remembers, I feel like you should know something's up. Because Nicole like disappears and reappears and it just feels really weird, like the concept that she wouldn't be some kind of illusion in also there's, Isaac's mind. Also there's a bit in the first half when um what's the main villainess's name again? Um. Yeah. What? Uh, shoot. What's her name? Like that's the thing. These characters don't stick with me because I don't really feel like these Kendra. 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 They also gave her kind of a generic name. Yeah. Uh, it was like with the first ha uh, bit of Life is Strange. Like you, uh, when we talked about Life is Strange, the first half, you did not know these characters at all, just because they had such uh, plain names. Yeah. It, but then the, they made us care about them. So in the second half, we knew who. Yeah. Uh, all these characters were associated with even like the side characters if i pointed out justin you know oh like he's the stoner skater kid yeah like, like instantly you, the game made you care about these characters and didn't need a fancy name to remember you just knew them because you care and about obviously this is a very different type of game but most of the conversations that happen in this game is people talking at isaac and you can't get really a sense of characterization whenever people are just talking at you the entire time okay i'm gonna i'm gonna say something here this game makes me not care at all about Isaac. And I know in 2 and 3 he becomes more of a character. There is a moment in this game when you are revealed that Nicole is dead to Isaac. And it's the only time the character ever does any like 
emoting. He puts he, his hand on his helmet and, it and looks, shakes his head and goes, oh, no, basically. <laughs> it looks so dumb. It looks so dumb. Like, Isaac has met his his lost girlfriend that he cared so much about finding and no showed no emotion at all. Isaac has been betrayed by Kendra. Isaac has had all these things in front of him. And at this one moment, he shakes his head and it's just like, this is so freaking lame. Like, oh my, like, uh, it, it really bummed me out. <laughs> but, you know, those things about, like, so this story that's so back heavy that I like, um, kind of going into this section, mm. you know, the first six chapters we talked about that it's just repairing the ship, mailing around the ship. Chapter seven is when you are, um, you've first you see Nicole for the first time, so you get like the vibe that she is alive. Um, and at this point, you're also going to destroy an asteroid that is being held on the ship, basically, that's preventing you from sending a relay beacon out to get help you're trying to send a message out like hey help us help get us off this ship um there is some cool stuff in this chapter when it comes to the asteroid there's a cool kind of uh process in which you're shutting down parts of the system and then going out into space to shut down stuff coming back in there's a lot of cool stuff like the timing puzzle that you have to do to jump on the asteroid to like uh, get to the other side was really well done I died a lot in this section, like with that timing puzzle in particular, but it was just because we were talking about after chapters one through six, where we're like, we we hope we're just not going to run around and fix things for this next yeah. the second half. That was the biggest complaint from last last episode where we felt like we just ran around and hit buttons. And now, and you still are running around and hitting buttons, but the buttons are asking you to push and like the second half actually like do some cool stuff like the asteroid puzzle and then like the... Uh, turret section in chapter eight which is miles better than the turret section oh, yeah. from the previous section it's an actual section you don't feel like you're just sitting there waving off rocks for 45 minutes <laughs> but like the difference in this than the first half is you feel like the things you're doing have weight behind them in the first half of the game every time you go and you hit a button the only reason it has weight behind it is because somebody on the other side of the radio tells you, you did something. Here, you're actually seeing what you're doing, you're yeah. accomplishing. Yeah, in the first half, you don't really... Some, yeah, exactly. Someone tells you when something good happens to the ship versus you actually seeing it. And the results of you doing stuff in this chat, in this section, you see the rep repercussions of it. Like, you see the asteroid get, uh, like smelted you see the uh when you activate the comms you see what happens to that ship you're not getting told you're actually it's the, the bit when you're on the planet surface in the 12th chapter that's all repercussions of everything that's happened before you're doing stuff and you're seeing the repercussions it's the comic thing in in comics it's a, a really good writer in a comics is going to write things so the artist is telling the bulk of the story instead of having to speak at you and tell you what's happening because it's a visual medium show don't tell exactly show, show don't, don't tell. tell and the first half of this game is tell you tell you tell you the second half actually shows your repercussions and it makes it significantly better mm -hmm. um you know the whole asteroid stuff you're sending out a relay beacon and this kind of gets to in the game i think my favorite section of this game which is you send out this relay beacon and the response is um 
received by a patrolling, quote-unquote, military vessel. And then it becomes a situation where you're like, oh, hey, help is right there. Someone is coming. But the game does something really, really cool that if you remember back, I believe, chapter 4 or 3, it's whenever you went to the bridge, there is a moment in which Haman traps a necromorph in a escape pod and ejects the escape pod. And it's kind of a mm-hmm. throwaway thing. But then it comes back around in this chapter exactly. in a really big way. When they say, in the military vessel is sending like a message like, hey, we've received your message, we're on our way, we've also picked up your escape pod. Um, that moment really is a cool kind of storytelling moment of, hey, remember this throwaway thing from three or four chapters ago? It's coming back to bite you. <laughs> like, you you released this escape, escape pod... And now it's going to ruin your one chance at salvation. Because they they can they know there's a distress signal, but you can't like send out a physical message to them. So they're just going off the assumption, oh, uh, escape pod. Obviously something found the ship, but we need to go to the escape pod because obviously that's where they are. Yeah. It's, no, yeah. <laughs> don't do that. It's the idea of like, hey, well, well, but it makes sense for them to pick up the escape pod. But in order to, why wouldn't you? Yeah. But nor, before you do that and activate the comms, you do the uh, satellite puzzle, which I really liked, where you have to like uh, kind of figure out which of the relay dishes were the working ones and kind of put them in the row. I like that puzzle that's a actually, lot. That's actually after you get the military message, because oh, what is? yeah, what it triggers is you have to go do that to try to send a message back to the military telling them not to open the escape <laughs> pod. Um, so that puzzle was really cool, though. I do like... Really, any of the puzzles in Zero-G, I like. Yeah. The Zero-G stuff in this game is actually really fun. As I was saying in the, uh, first set, uh, part that we discussed, if I was making a sequel to Dead Space, I would just go all in on the Zero-G stuff and, like, build more stuff around that, because for me, that was the most interesting level design and encounter design and puzzle design in this game were all centered around the zero g stuff the one time i never felt like i was doing a slog is when i was doing puzzles and combat stuff in zero g because zero g feels it feels unique but also the puzzles can be kind of simple but because you're in zero g they add an extra level of um, challenge because you're having to be very vertical thinking and you know, thinking in a three in a three dimensional space instead of just on a even playing field. You know, mm-hmm. so that moment when you're relining up the um, the communications uh, satellites, if you were doing that just running around and picking up things and putting them back down, it wouldn't have been that interesting. But because you're having to go up, down, around, move this one out of a spot to put another one in, it just felt fun. It was enjoyable, and the combat in Zero G is fun. It takes away the ability to hear enemies coming. Like I was talking about, I was playing this with a really good set of headphones. And with a good set of headphones, you can track enemies by your, your hearing, which is cool. But in Zero-G, you lose some of that. Mm-hmm. Because they don't, you, you don't hear as much in the Zero-G as you do in normal. So enemies can be right behind you. You can't really hear them as well. Um, the whole This whole chapter is the puzzle stuff is really fun. Uh, eight might be my favorite chapter in this game yeah there's a bit where it's completely inconsequential but you're riding a little like mine cart to get to the comm section and there's no enemies there but you just expect there to be because like it's shaking it's like 
because the, it's shaking, the lights are flickering, so you assume something's going to happen. And then when it doesn't, you just you have that breathe of sigh of relief. So when you're going back, you're doubly nervous. Like, oh, man, there's going to be something here. There's going to be something here. And then there's not. It's just a really fun fake out, I what, thought. What I love about this whole section, those sections is it's moments where the ship feels different and unique. Mm-hmm. You need more stuff like that. If you're all going to set something on a single location, the worst thing you can do is have everything feel the same. Mm. And so much of this this ship feels the same. But little stuff like that is when you can see, like, oh, man, this is very unique. I feel like I'm in a different part of the ship experiencing a different thing. Um, and those are, like, the moments where the design comes through really positive. But the problem is getting to those moments is a slog because I'm wandering down the same dark hallways. I want more uniqueness. And I think that is something that 2 does because 2 sets it on a station, on a space station, that has like a population there. And I remember several parts from Dead Space 2 in which you're in like a, like the hospital section of this space station. You're in a, you go to one point, you're in a, uh, like a daycare for the space station, which is a creepy freaking part, man. This sounds... Two very days. interesting it goes back to my theory that my entire love of dead space is based around my remembering two and one was upgraded by two in my theory so i, I probably mean, that makes sense probably need to go back and fiddle around with two a little bit and see if this still holds but um is two the same like chapter design as this like each section is kind of cut off or does it take a more like open because i feel like I want to say a Metroidvania style would kind of fit Dead Space. I don't think a it's a Metroidvania better. style, but I think there is a little bit more openness. It would I would have to look back. I I was meaning to um to do some Dead Space two research before because like I said I've played the game, but um I just need to refresh my memory on it. Yeah. But uh, this whole section is unique because also you it ends in the turret sequence in which the military ship crashes into the Ishimura. And because obviously they didn't get our message about not opening the escape pod. Um, and this is a unique spot because it's the first time we get to get off the Ishimura and go to that ship. And that ship is different enough that I really enjoyed the part about going to the military ship. Mm-hmm. And also some little bit of like story stuff here. Um, everybody's acting like the military ship is just like randomly on patrol in this like restricted sector. But when you get to the military ship is when you realize this military ship is built for warfare. They are fully locked, loaded, and ready to go. And they have information. You pick up like some text logs about how like they have information about the marker already on board that ship. So they knew stuff before they – they're playing it off like they're just responding to a distress call. But they know what's going on. They know about the marker. They, they know that something's going on at mm-hmm. least. Um, military ship also has one of the boringest kind of objectives, which is just collecting a bunch of nav cards for a ship for a um, uh, it's collecting a bunch of nav cards for the uh, shuttle, correct? On the yeah, that's right. I believe it's something like that. It's collect like four of these things, kind of objective, but navigating the military ship was really cool. Uh, there's a lot of environmental hazards going on. There's one section in particular that I really enjoyed in which you are entering a barracks and you're having to move the barracks around to navigate through the barracks. Mm-hmm. 
Um, is it in chapter? F- that might be chapter nine where you do that. Yeah, Either that way, really that's a cool section. Mm-hmm. But the whole military section on chapter eight and nine is really really cool. I enjoy being on that ship. Um, this is chapter nine. Sorry. Um, and this is also yeah. where you're introduced to a new character that kind of pops up out of nowhere. Um, he's Doctor. What's his name? Doctor Keen. Doctor Keen. Was he not the villain from like that uh, chapter four? No, no, that was the that was a different doctor. That was a different evil doctor. Yeah, he because he pops back up. This goes back to <sighs> none of these characters really strike me as interesting enough that I really like dug. I at this point I had completely checked out of the story, (laughs) which is weird because this is a point when the story is like actually trying to become a. I come back around in the eleventh chapter whenever you're like uh, prepping the ship for like launch and everything, and then Kendra betrays you, and all that. I was and the stuff involving the artifact, that stuff was really interesting. But like, again, just I had no investment, Isaac. I had no investment in like any of these characters at all in the story so i just i just checked out of the story which i probably shouldn't do for a book club podcast well, no but i mean it, I first was, and foremost you know while we're a book club style podcast this is still a video game gameplay and stuff like that factors in heavily mm-hmm. but if your story doesn't give me enough reasons to care i'm going to check out plain and simple um there was one puzzle I also want to bring up. Before you get onto the military ship, you have to clean up some radiation. The radioactive ball puzzle? It's just big green balls. They could make those a little bit more. <laughs> Do you not feel like that's like a placeholder? Um, <laughs> like, like, a, like, a, like, like an untextured object or something? Yeah, just like, like uh, add some green uh, glow to it. Perfect. Sh- that's guys, a radioactive go back and we'll What were those things? They were just radioactive balls? Um, it what says that one of the ship's weapons was damaged in the crash and it's the parts of the weapon so i imagine they have like some nuclear missiles or something on board the ship but man it feels like a placeholder asset if i've ever seen one like i just really didn't dig the the choice there like they should have even if they made them like big containers or parts of a missile or something just make it look more interesting than a big green ball um we also get a revelation here that is told to us. I forget who tells us, but the infection is making the uh, necromorphs merge with their stasis unit. Yeah, which so, I guess allows them to become. Those are the more powerful ones that you encounter. Um, I guess because I believe it's Kendra who tells you that because the military troops all have stasis units, when they are infected, the stasis units are going into like haywire. So they're like, if you look at them, they, they're like super twitchy. Like they're going in and out of like. Oh, there's speeds. Those, oh, yeah, those are the really fast ones. Yeah. That you encounter. So it's like the stasis unit is is not correct, like not running properly because they've been infected, and that's why they're fast and you know extra. But to be honest with you, they were not that big of a problem for me. Like the black uh, necromorphs that take a bunch of hits are more of a problem for me than those guys. Like I could just hit those guys in the head and they would die. They look really cool, and the way they animate is really impressive. Just like they're static. It looks like they're running at a different frame rate. I could be wrong on that, but just the way they like are moving and everything, like it. They definitely looks really well. They definitely look like they're like. I think you're supposed to get the like the feeling that they're like going in and out of stasis constantly. Mm-hmm. So that's why they're like you know they look twitchy. Yeah, but, that, um, that part was cool. 
No, like, yeah. Everything involving like the design of the enemies and how you take care of the enemies, it was awesome. It was just whenever they just place a bunch of different of the same types of a bunch of different types of enemies together in the same room was when it becomes a problem where you're having to deal with okay, uh, cut the arms off this enemy, cut the guy's legs so he doesn't spill the things. Oh, this guy's constantly charging at me. <laughs> you know, in theory, that's good game design. Mm-hmm. In theory. Like, okay, um, if you've played, I'm trying to think of a... Okay, let's use the, the Gears of War franchise, all right? You play Horde mode, and you got different groups of enemies that come at you in waves. In theory, you want enemies that require you to do different things to defeat them. So, mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, I got this big guy. He's slow, but I have to get behind him to damage him. I got a bunch of fast guys that I can just fight normally. I got little guys who don't have any range attack, but they charge them. You want to be changing up how the player has to interact with the enemies. But the way uh, those Gears of War games work is that you have a lot more... Even though Marcus is relatively slow, he still has a lot more movement options than Isaac has. And there's a lot of opportunities for cover in those games, as well as like elevation in two major rooms that I absolutely hated in this chunk of dead space. They're just big open rooms with maybe a pillar or two in the middle. So you and Isaac is about as mobile as a toothpick. So you just hit the nail on the head why it doesn't work. Because they did all the walk on the enemy side, but what tools did they give Isaac that are interesting and fun to use to engage with those enemies? Supposedly the weapons, but <laughs> they're not that good. They're not that fun. Like true, I mean, and I know that I was made the argument about the plasma cutter being the only thing you can use, and you can say, "Well, Eric, you should be using all the different weapons." None of those weapons provide me a specific way of defeating a certain kind of enemy. This feels like a game that would be much more manageable and more fun on new game plus just because you could have all because the game just says hey you can play with your upgrade armor kit and all your upgrade weapons and everything and you can play at a harder difficulty and everything and that seems like the true dead space experience playing with those upgrade weapons juggling between upgraded fully fully armed weapons to like make those encounters manageable but for a first playthrough like just this some of this encounter design was just I don't just don't think the weapons are that interesting. You know, like you think about the line gun, right? Mm-hmm. It's a big version of the plasma cuddle that's slow. Pretty much, yeah. Okay. The, the force gun was kind of cool. Yeah, force the, gun's kind of cool. The plasma rifle is just a assault rifle. Assault rifle. Flamethrower is really useless against a lot of the enemies because they can kind of just kind of keep attacking you through it. Um, There's the charge gun that I forget the name of, but you literally just hold it down until it turns blue. And then you shoot. Yeah, I just don't feel like... The boss gun. That was the boss gun. <laughs> like, I feel like you you want to throw a room full of a bunch of different kind of enemies at me. I want to have fun tools to engage with them. I'm all for games where combat requires me to switch my weapons constantly. I'm doing this, I'm doing that. I got to freeze this guy. Let me tell you about Doom. You, you want to talk about Doom? Let's talk about Doom. Doom does that to the perfection, alright? Mm-hmm. Like... A lot of people don't like Doom Eternal as much as Doom 2016. I think those people are crazy. Doom Eternal is literally a constant dance of, I need armor. So I hit this guy with the flamethrower and then shoot him up and get the armor. I need weapons, I mean uh, ammunition, so I'm going to chainsaw this guy over here. I need health, so I'm going to do a glory kill heal. You're constantly doing this, that, and the other. 
and those rooms that you want to do challenge rooms in Doom Eternal, I'll play those all freaking day because the enemies are unique and different. And each one provides a different kind of problem, and you're about it's about figuring out on the fly. This is what I need to hit this enemy with. It's not about guessing. You know how to defeat each one of those enemies. By the time you get to the uh, the Slayer rooms later on in that game, every single enemy in that Slayer gate, I know how to kill. The problem is I'm having to do the dance and do it right and move and hit my targets to eliminate each one of those enemies in the way in which I need to do so. Mm-hmm. I have all the tools. Now I've got to figure out how to use them. Dead Space, in these heavy combat sections, here's a bunch of problems. Your tool set's not that interesting, and boy, is it kind of... You're, you're kind of just doing the same thing to all of them in a different way, but they just all come at you a little bit different. But to play Devil's Advocate, this is also a very, very, very different type of game than something like a Doom Eternal. This is more of a slow survival horror game. Yeah, but I feel like the logic of combat design is still there. If you want to throw a bunch of problems at me... My solutions need to be interesting. Mm-hmm. Know that I don't need to always be able to run around real fast. Isaac can move slow. But, like, okay, the stasis on enemies, right? You know, to freeze them. Other than freezing the enemy in place so you can make the shots more accurately, th- you're still doing the same thing. You're cutting off limbs and freezing. and You're just freezing them and making it easier. I was looking forward to... In the first half of this game, you get your two stasis abilities, the freeze and the... Um, it's the uh, kinetic, you can move. Kinetic, through. yeah. I was going to call it the control ability. But um, in the... You they, you get those two so early that you assume... It's safe to assume that you will get more later on and that would open up some combat design. But no, you get those two. You can upgrade those two to make them the range on them a little better. That's it. I'm also going to play Devil Advocate real quick because I can hear people screaming. <laughs> They're going to say, Eric, you fool. Doom came out 2016. All of these games came out later. Dead Space was earlier. You shouldn't be holding them to the same standard. Let's talk about some games real quick then. Halo 2. All about engagement distance. Also Using a very the- different type of game than this, though. Resident Evil 4. Resident Evil 4, yeah, that's... <laughs> that's all. You want to talk about a perfect example of, of, of a similar game. I've, and I've been playing Resident this is Evil very 4 recently. Much, they openly admitted this game was heavily inspired by Resident Evil 4. On the, on the development floor, this was called Resident Evil in Space before they had a name for this thing. So, let's use, use Resident Evil 4. I've been playing Resident Evil 4 recently. In Resident Evil 4, there was different enemies that required different things from you, right? There's the uh, you know the guys who got shields, the guys who got dynamite, you know this, that, and the other. You receive different tools to engage those enemies with. The now is it the same thing as like a doom? No, but you get into a kind of a vibe and dance that it is fun and unique to be like, okay, this enemy's got the dynamite, so I'm shooting him in the hand to drop the dynamite. These enemies got shields, so I'm going to pop them in the legs and then you know go over the shield and shoot them. There was a dance and there was a vibe and there was a system in how you take out the different enemies. Plus, Leon is a lot more mobile. I mean, on foot, he's basically the same as Isaac, but he can also he can kick ladders down. He can jump off buildings. He can uh, do a cool kick to kind of knock enemies yeah. back if you he needs to. You shoot an enemy and you, stag- you stagger them and you can do the roundhouse that can take out other enemies. Or, you know... Uh, you have grenades 
you're, you know, just getting real simplistic here. You have flash grenades and, you know, frag grenades. Those tools in which you have as Leon, he's not super mobile, but he has tools and ways to engage with the enemies to kind of keep the combat fresh and fun. Mm-hmm. This doesn't really have that. That's the biggest killer in this is that I feel like the combat is very samey, so when you throw a bunch of it at me, I get bored. Yeah. Um, but I feel like we've been a lot very negative for like the past few minutes, so I kind of want to talk about a really cool part in in part nine. There's a bit where you uh, come up to uh, the med bay with like a whole bunch of like uh, cutting lights, and there's a guy that just charges you, and he just gets cut by all of those. That's awesome room design, because then you know, like, okay, don't touch these, so when they're moving, you're out, you know what to look for. That stuff is great. There's a lot of good stuff in this chapter, but yeah. in these sections especially, but... I talk about in chapter 10, it's chapter 10, by the way, mm-hmm. where you have to move the barracks around to navigate the environment. Move this one back so I can move this one over. That's cool. The environmental stuff that this game does is really quite good. Like, I actually like that kind of stuff. That... It, it's the first time the regenerator enemy was interesting to me because I had to take him down to be able to move stuff uh, around. So he's chasing you in that in those barrack sequences. When they combine encounter design with the puzzle design, that's when this game like is per is the best version of itself. Exactly. Chapter twelve is all of that, and that's why chapter twelve is so good in my mind because exactly you're mo- you're focusing on this thing, and the encounter design is just there to make that thing harder. Exactly. The combat is not the draw. It's the... I'm trying to complete a task while I'm having to manage other stuff. Um, it's a quick thing that happens in Chapter 9. This is when uh, Hammond dies. He dies. Um, he's killed by the uh, big charger guy. Kills him. Then you Kills fight the big charger last. guy, and that goes uh, <laughs> rough for me. <laughs> what's, the, what's the purpose of Hammond in this game? Other than red herring, so you suspect him and not Kendra. I guess I just goes back to I just yeah yeah we go back to our ship at the end of chapter nine. He's a black guy in a horror game. Yeah, that feels really generic. (laughs) I feel like they could have done better than that. It's two thousand eight. It's two thousand eight. But still, man, that ain't justification. When was uh, when did uh, Cabin in the Woods come out? Cabin in the Woods, 2012. Okay, so it was before Cabin in the Woods. Because doesn't Cabin in the Woods take some shots at that whole trope? They, that movie is one giant shot at the horror genre no, in general. I, I, if I remember correctly, I like that movie. I love Cabin in the Woods. That's a good movie, Woods. yeah. But, um, That'd be a good, like, hey, if we want to talk about a movie once. <laughs> but the thing Cabin is about Cabin in the Woods, we it's hard to talk about that movie in particular if we have already seen it because that's a movie that plays better not knowing what to expect hey spoilers for cabin in the woods um yeah sorry it's it's the same thing as i got from dust to dawn from Mm -hmm. dust to dawn it's the same way like dust to dawn is it's it's as best when you don't get what happens to like an hour and 45 minutes into it you know and then it's at its best but if you know the twist already it's okay but when you don't know the twist, it's really good. Unlike this game, where the twist has literally no effect on the, yeah, I don't the game as a song. When we go back to the chapter 9, uh, this chapter 10 gives me my favorite room in this entire game. Because chapter 10, you are going down to the barracks of the ship. And this is when you get super into the church stuff. 
the line of just like candles going yes. down the stairs and everything. It reminded me. Uh, did you reach the? Uh, I know you played a bit of Near Automata. Yes. Did you reach the section where like the cult candles and like the church stuff going on, the Become as God stuff? Yes. It, that was the first thing that came to my mind. Just all those like church candles in a sci-fi setting is like. It's really it's cool. That it's, juxtaposition of like those two things is like the, um, really cool. It's the Sisters of Battle in Warhammer where you're you're mixing like very science fiction with very like old school like gothic religion. Mm-hmm. And um, there's singing going on in the background too. The, it's sounds... Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. Was it again? Yeah. I couldn't tell if it was that or if it was like just choir. Which I think sing. is a like I, I talked about how there was a point in which you heard Twinkle Twinkle Little Star in the elevator at one point. Also, if you don't press start right away, they it just plays the trailer for this game and you hear Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. Yeah. Does that have any like narrative content or is it just I to be creepy? Know. It's I like think... we're gonna take this child song and put it in this horror game because it's creepy. I feel like that's what it is. I feel like it's you know taking it childhood you know lost innocence. It's it's a trope and it's a lame one. Um, I think it walks good because the singing is like done creepily and the environment's really cool. But I wish they would have picked something maybe a little bit more interesting. It's like the bit in um that one movie, The Woman in Black, with Daniel Radcliffe, where it just keeps cutting back to like a monkey with cymbals. Yeah, it's like here's something you know is creepy. Ding 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 ding. Um, just kind of remind me of that, and yeah. I was like, that's a movie I don't really often think about, but I'm yeah. like, oh yeah, that movie. Um. But this is a really cool environment. Oh, yeah. And the church stuff is interesting to me. I dig the fact that the church is like a universal big religion. Like, it's not like this is a cult. This is a, like, major religion among humanity. Um, There's talks about, like, to this 2008, it's it's playing off of a religion. (laughs) Like, there's... But it's a major religion, like, for humanity. Like, it's not a situation where this is, like, a cult. Um, I don't know. I definitely got occult vibes with the, um, there's the dead bodies with, like, the bandaged faces in this area uh, as well. Let me finish, though. But, yes, I mean, we know it's, like, a creepy monster thing, Mm -hmm. cult thing. But, like, okay, when you get to the captain's um, cabin. And there's a voice log there where you like realize he's a part of the church. And the church has funded this expedition, basically. And filled the ship with the, a bulk of them being believers, you know, members of the church. But you can also find things that are like tracks and like recruitment stuff for the church. And they state how like the church is ran by, has multi-millionaires. It has, you know, board politics. It's like, it's a huge recognized religion. This is not a under the shadows you know creepy thing like people know about this religion which makes it even more interesting to me because there's like this dark seediness and then there was like a forward facing version you know Mm -hmm. i think i think that's interesting i think it's kind of that's cool uh the whole section has some cool stuff um some creepy stuff especially like when you just see one of the only uh, NPCs that you actually see in this game, like the human NPCs, and it's just a woman laughing, and then she slits her throat. No, she shoots herself. She shoots herself. Yeah, blows yeah. her own head off, like, gotcha. completely off her head. Um, <laughs> I wish you see more than that because you see some of that on the military vessel. Mm-hmm. Like there's a dude who's stuck in one of those gravity wells, 
so he's being slammed up against the ceiling. Oh, right. <laughs> like, but like that stuff is good horror stuff, right? But um, there's a point in the army uh, ship in which you open up a door and a guy like kind of like stumbles and runs across the um, the the hallway in front of you. So you like a naturally, if you do what I do, I followed him, you know. But he's dead. <laughs> but you know, like you are, you know, you're. It's cool. You feel like other people are moving around the ship, mm-hmm. which they try to do in situations when you run into Haman or you run into the the doctor or you run into the crazy doctor guy. Like the game is trying to make like, oh, these people are running around, but instead, what I feel like is I'm doing is I'm walking up on scenes. Like, this is a haunted house, and I'm walking up on a scene that I'm supposed to see and then move on. Because, like, those characters never leave the rooms they're in. Like, mm-hmm. you never see them leave. They're always behind glass. Um, yeah. I talked about the Nicole thing. Like, when you meet Nicole face-to-face for the first time, not across a ravine, but, like, you're in the same room with her. Like, we're going to go down to the ship, and I'll meet you there, Isaac. And doesn't follow you. It just feels like you're walking into a scene. And then walking out of a scene. Yeah. Um, and that really that really kind of makes me not care. There's a bit where, uh, I think it's the doctor dude, where he's, um, he like uh, stabs a guy in front of you behind one of those glass yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. And the guy he stabs is someone who very much, he's, he was in a lot of the voice logs from the first half of the game. He's the guy who was in like engineering. Yeah, he was like looking for one of the ladies who was in like the uh, the food place. Like, like it's like a weird subplot that goes throughout the game of like his adventures around the ship, which becomes kind of a thing in this franchise if you think about it. Because I know there's a rail shooter that takes place in this franchise that does kind of a similar. Oh yeah, on the Wii, uh, Dead Space Extraction. Yeah, I want to say that's like a similar. Like this is going on over here. And there was a comic series Re- and a motion Re- comic series. Reviews for that game were actually really good. Like people thought it was like one of the better like rail shooters on the Wii. You think about it, it kind of makes sense, right? Because the game's all about shooting off limbs. So a rail shooter that requires you to hit certain targets. Yeah, I actually got that. That'd be fun. Sounds pretty. Did they good. ever? Oh, I think that's on. They made a PS3 version of that eventually with move support. Right. I think it was like a pre. I think it was a pre-order bonus with Dead Space. Two. I, I could be completely that, yeah. wrong with that. I don't have a move, so I don't know. I got PlayStation Three, but if you're one of the move. ten people with a PlayStation Move, that might be harsh. Oh, wait, you need one for VR, right? I think you it's bundled Maybe, in. Maybe, but the fact that we'll sit here going like, "Do you have a PlayStation Move?" Like, I just feel like, yeah, yeah. This would be a Nick question. Nick's the VR guy. <laughs> We're not the VR guy, you know. So we'll ask Nick, and he'll he'll pop back up, and he'll be like, "Yeah, of course you all idiots. We all have moves." He'll he'll yell at us. Um, my favorite thing about chapter uh, ten, Isaac walks weird when he's on like the little um, like the parts of the, the ship that has a bunch of, He's like he's like tiptoeing. I just think that's my favorite walk. I was sitting there for a little while, making him go forward a little bit, then back up a little bit, go forward a little bit. There's a basketball room in this chapter, uh, which is actually not bad. It's a fun little mini game. There's an achievement associated with it. I did not get. I, I was like, to, this like, is too much time. I just want to. Um, I think the longer you play the basketball game, the more the lockers in the locker room open up. Yeah, because I got, like, I think the three of them, too, and I'm like, okay, I'm good. I don't need to do this anymore. Yeah, I think it's like you if you play the game longer, you get more stuff. You know, that's a good way. If you're, if you're low on equipment and supplies, you know, suck it up, and mm-hmm. you can get some stuff. But, boy, it gets a little tedious. 
this is also the easiest boss fight in the world pops up. Where you kill the regenerator by turning on the engines. And the game's already taught you how to kill him. And, uh... Because you freeze him the first time and then you burn him up the second time. With a game that's all about freezing people in time and then cutting off their legs, it's not that hard just to freeze them real quick, shot, bam, bam, and then go hit that button. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I did this in, like, one shot. No issues at all. But you're a lot better at this game than I am. This took a couple tries. Because <laughs> I, I didn't know what I was supposed to do. Because I was like, uh, I've again, I've been tuning out the story, so I wasn't listening to exactly what I was supposed to do. So I'm like, hit the button to turn on the engines. And I'm like, I keep pressing it, but nothing's happening. Then, I'm, like an idiot, I go, oh, this guy's chasing me. I need to put him where the engines are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just stick it right there and just dun, 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 dun. Um, Elevator. There's an elevator after that sequence. Glitched out on me, killed me. Really bummed me out. How? I haven't been dying. I have no Is freaking it... clue. I thought I screwed up, and I tried to repeat the bug, and it didn't happen. <laughs> but I haven't been dying in this game, and that freaking killed me, and it made me mad. <laughs> that just makes me mad. <laughs> you, uh, you need come up, and she needed to die every once in a while. It feels like because. I've been sitting on loading screens for a while in this game. Yeah, I haven't had that much of. Yeah, I play a lot of play these a lot two, of Twitch nine and, games. Nine and ten were really rough for me. I did not enjoy those sections at all. Seven and eight were good, and I really liked eleven and twelve. But nine and ten, for the most part, there was some really cool stuff in there. Like my favorite bit being the uh, laser cutting puzzle was really fun. But other than that, it was just like all right, ready. After 10, I was like, I'm just going to plow through this game at this point. So I spent like the next like hour and a half to two hours just finishing it. Um, I had a weird kind of... Okay, in the story point, you are taking the marker back down to the planet at the behest of the doctor or doctor... Uh, the, the nice doctor, we'll just call him because I forget his name. Um, and there's a weird story thing. Okay, we know that Kendra does not want us to take the Markle. Correct? Mm -hmm. But then Kendra spends the entire time telling us we should go with him. We should trust him. And it just feels like... It feels like at this point, Kendra takes a massive backseat. Okay, like, it never explains why Kendra's seeing her brother. You know how, like, you, she talks a lot about, like, I saw my brother again. And I guess that's, that's supposed, supposed to begin to elude you that something is up with Nicole because you're the one you're seeing her. It's like, that's on my yeah, brother again. That's impossible. I guess, but like, I feel like they could have done something with Kendra that made me care about her more than when she betrays you. I feel like they could have done a lot of stuff about the story in this game to allow you to yeah, care about what's going yeah. on. But <laughs> Maybe that's my argument. Um, this point, you just, you're loading the marker up just to take the marker down to the planet. You're just doing more engineer stuff. We're like, all right, we got to load engineer. the ship. <laughs> I mean, at this point, it's like comical. Yeah. It's just like, got to. But again, Isaac is not like some military guy. He's an engineer, so it makes sense that the whole game and its objectives is built around trying to get this thing up and running so you can get out. Let's, let's do some jumping real quick. Mm -hmm. You go get the marker and you move it up some elevators. You get the thing to the ship. But here's the weird thing. Okay, so you get the thing to the ship, you go to board the ship, and bam, the guy gets shot right before you get on the ship, mm -hmm. and you realize it's Kendra, she steals the mark, she just leaves, the ship, takes, <laughs> just like that. she just gets yeah. on the ship and goes, I'm like, alright, <laughs> I guess that's why she didn't mind you helping, because she was just going to steal the ship anyway, yeah, um, 
And then it's like, ha ha, Isaac. Then it was me all vil- along. Villain monologue is my note for that. Just because it's like, ah, you, I was doing this for my own benefit. It's the same thing as like in every horror movie. The one who betrays you is always like someone who's always in it for money. Like, or their purpose, like in uh, Alien. Like, it's just like, oh, we need to preserve the uh, alien. For the company. For the company. She's so it's always the... like, corporate corporations always end up screwing everybody over. And that seems to be the case in... Like, she's taking the mark... Okay, this is when we... Let's talk some story and there's some lack of logic here. What? She makes... It makes perfect sense. What are you talking about? <laughs> she makes a statement that this is not even a real Markle. And this oh, is that th- based... Oh, I did not know what was she was meaning by that, that at all. This is when all of a sudden, like, the game's like, we have lore. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, cool. Where has it been? Um, I love lore. I love me some lore in video games and movies and books and diegummy. I love lore. But boy, does this come out of left field. No, this is not the real Markle. Not at all. This is a man-made marker that's based on the original marker. Which is from Arth, Michael. We found the marker on Arth. And this marker was a man-made one, and it was tested by the military. And then this section was locked down because after the test, because it made a giant tentacle monster, apparently, is what it did. I don't know what else it did. And the marker (laughs) kept that thing in check. But when the illegal mining operation, which was really being ran by the church... Because the church knew about the Marco and was sending people to go with Kiev with the Marco. So the company thought they were doing an illegal mining operation. The church thought they were going to receive the Marco. The military had the Marco there to keep the, the monsters created by the Marco. That's not really the Marco in check. All of this happens. And <laughs> um, Kendra's <sighs> job is not to return the Marco to the planet. No, she's going to take the Marco. Even though she's working for, I guess, a shady government thing? I'm so glad I checked out because if I was vested in the story and all this nonsense happened, I would have been angry. <laughs> I'm just sitting there going, okay, if she's with the government, wouldn't she want to take the marker back down to the planet? If she's with the church, wouldn't she want to take the marker to the church? But she's not with the church. So she's with another third party. So it, it just... It reeks of that yelling, aha, it was I. It's like, I did not know you were even here, bro. My entire note for this whole thing was villain monologue, because that's all it is. Just like, let me tell you about how I planned this from the beginning. And you're just like, I don't care. I don't care. care. And her voice changes to be evil. Like, oh man, it's bad. I'm and surprised my... she didn't appear and just had one of those stick on goatees or something. And my favorite thing is like, she escapes. What are we going to do? And then Nicole's like, come here. So you go back up to her room. You, you just, just tractor out. beam it back. That was <laughs> gold. That was back. beautiful. I was expecting her to be, when you go in, I was, I, expect, I was expecting her to like, be like, have pie on her face or something. Be like, uh-oh. But she just jettisons the escape pod out of it. I was disappointed that she wasn't just there going, uh, I didn't, I didn't, like she I didn't think it, I didn't think you would get this far. Like <laughs> I thought that they, you'd bring it back and like a monster would jump or like like um, oh that'd be good too or something. But like long story short, like you just bring it right back. That was hilarious. I laugh. I put my controller down and laugh whenever it's like let's just pull it back in. It's such a bad like you idiot. Oh, it's so bad. <laughs> and like once again, like talking about like Isaac being a faceless, nameless, emotionless machine. He finds Nicole and no, there's no reaction. Nicole talk about it being a scene. You walk out of that room, and Nicole's like, I'll meet you down there. And 
like there's no reason she would just walk with you um you fight a couple of enemies you jump on the ship because she she ejected an escape pod from the escape pod i guess um and you basically fly, yeah <laughs> and nicole gets beside you and she's making her crazy cult stuff like make us whole again make us she, whole again yep take the marker down to the planet and I was so glad not to, to see non Ishimura environment that I was like, yay, new stuff. It's a planet surface. You're like, this is something new, something grand most, for the finale. This is nice. In most games, I would care so much about, like, I wouldn't care about this kind of environment. But in this, I'm like, yeah, it's new. Um, <laughs> and really, the only thing you do is uh, you just guide the Markle through the facility. Which I guess would be appropriate for like Isaac too, because he's been stuck on that thing, like dealing with monsters and everything. I could imagine like if he was a voice character, he'd be like, ah, "Fresh air, kind yeah. of finally." Yeah, like he would have something to say about this, but he doesn't. Um, he just puts his hand on his helmet once again. <laughs> yeah, releases once one again. tear on the exterior of that helmet for some reason. Just one oh tear rolls God, yeah. down. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, um, you move the Markle. You move it to the site of, I guess, where you can... You're putting the marker back, where they took it from. Put that thing back where it came from or so. Help me. me. So help me. <laughs> oh, man. Monster Inc., but with Dead Space. That's terrifying. Like, little necromorphs trying to put back a little Isaac. <laughs> like, yeah, I told you it was a bad idea. He's going to cut off all of them. Don't you know? <laughs> Oh man, you want to just do a you want to do a sing along, but it's Monster Inc. But with Dead Space, just make that whole bit. No, we're not gonna do that. <laughs> um, this is a fun sequence. There's a cool zero G sequence in this whole area. Like there's some fun stuff, but it's a whole lot of nothing. You get you finally put the marker back where it needs to be. And Kendra locks you in a decontainment zone and moves it right back to the ship. <laughs> it's literally like the same thing as the tractor beam. Gotcha. We did this, and then we didn't do it. You know, I just undid it. And also, why can Kendra just hit a button and have it do it automatically? But Isaac had to physically <laughs> yeah, drag right? it all the way. No, I'm mad. <laughs> like, I like to think that Isaac just walked by the button at the beginning. Like, he could just hit the button. But uh, he just, you know, walked He just by. had to manually do it himself while doing it with all those necromorphs, just, like, constantly. Yeah. And this section was good. I liked the, uh, it's basically an escort mission. But it's a good escort mission, because you're, like, constantly, like, having to manage your own encounter design by, like, uh, raising and lowering the bridges so you can, like, trap enemies on, like, the opposite side bridge to like give you some more time to move the artifact along a little bit better it was really at the end i like this chapter a lot yeah at the end is a big battle sequence you're fighting the tentacles you're fighting monsters everything's exploding around you you know Mm -hmm. it feels good Um, oh yeah that last like final push where the three tentacles were up while monsters are chasing on the runway was very stressful and like actually really cool it felt good that's when the combat make because it makes sense Mm -hmm. it's like here you are you're right there at the edge of your journey it's going to be challenging. It's the peak of the mountain. Um, and like the fact that she's like, just watch the video all the way to the end again. You watch the video. Isaac shakes his head. <laughs> and then, the most emotional moment of this entire game. He just shakes his head. Nay, the series is when then, Isaac shakes his head and puts his hand on his face. Um, and then she just walks away with the marker. And then you cut through the ship. It gives you a whole mess of supplies because you know the ending's coming, so you gotta get a bunch of stuff. 
And then you just end right back up in the room. You could have just walked like two feet to get back to the ship from the get-go. Like it was a very – if Isaac was smart, he would have found the button, hit the button, and just walked through that hallway. He would have got to the end. And then you get back there, and Kendra's back on the ship looking at you like, oh, this is awkward. Why do you keep <laughs> – and then yeah. she's immediately unceremoniously killed by a giant tentacle. What? <laughs> she literally just shows up. She's like, oh, it's you again, Isaac. Bam. And it's like – also, how fast did she get back there? Because it took me like 20 minutes to get there, but she just walked in like two. Yeah. Like, uh, so she had a button. She yeah, had, she she had, had a button that escorted her back. She still had to walk faster. it. I mean, yeah. You don't know that. Maybe there was a... Another hallway. Yeah, another <laughs> But, yeah, she gets killed by a tentacle, and now we fight a big tentacle monster in a pretty decent boss fight, actually. Four... A final boss fight in survival horror games. Most of the final bosses in survival horror games are bad. Because they depend on... Because either... A, you have way too much ammunition because you've been stockpiling the whole game because of survival horror game. And that's what you do. You save your ammunition. And then you get to the final boss and just dump all your last rounds into the guy. Just like, Indian shotguns. Like, oh, I've been saving all this rocket launcher ammo. Let me just use the <laughs> rocket launcher over and over again. The but the encounter death. design here is actually really cool. Because it's like more of a timing-based thing versus a, uh, a enemy tank-based thing. Um, you also have the cool moment when you're picked up by a tentacle and you're shooting upside down. You know, trying to that hit. That was inside. great. That was a cool freaking moment. That felt awesome. I'm like, I was sitting there the whole time, and like we talked, it's similar to like when the tentacles grab you on the ship and drag you. That's freaking cool. And there is a moment in Dead Space 2 that, that reminded me of. There's a moment in which you fall down like a large elevator shaft or something. And you're hanging by like a upside down by like a rope or something. And a bunch of enemies attack you and you're like rotating while hanging upside down shooting them. Mm-hmm. That's the stuff this game does really cool. When, the, when I was being hung upside down and I was trying to line my shot up and it was hard. That freaking was cool. That was a cool moment. We want, I want more of that. I want more of that kind of stuff. Less of just shooting enemies. This feels around. like a proof of con- this game feels like a proof of concept. I feel like a Dead Space Two would be much better than this, just because they can look at the stuff that worked and like re-examine the stuff that didn't and make a really, really good game out of this. There's a really good game in here. Yeah, absolutely. There's a bunch of moments that I'm like, hell yeah, this rules, and then a bunch of moments where I'm like, this could have been trimmed down a lot or like completely redone. But I like Chapter 12. I like the final boss. I thought it was a really fun final boss for a horror game. I think Chapter 12 and Chapter 10, which is on the army ship, are my favorite chapters. I think 8 and 12 are my favorite chapters, because I really liked the way the, um, just that whole, the puzzle design in 8, as well as just the bit where they're going after the, uh, escape pod, and like, no, 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 don't do that, don't do that. I... Really cool. Just to finish up the story of this game, uh, you beat the big boss. The planet's falling apart because of, uh, uh, is it the Ishimura or is it the asteroid you released from the Ishimura? I wasn't paying attention. I think attention. it's the asteroid you released from the Ishimura. Uh, sure, let's go with it's that. It's coming down. You hop on the ship. You escape in the last second right before the ship collapses. There's a face reveal. Isaac reveals his face, and you know what? <laughs> I flipped my cable there. You know what? He's just a guy. Yeah. Isaac's a guy. He, he he he's just a guy and then the game ends on a lame jump scare that i knew was coming and i can tell you why i knew it was coming i had a flashback okay so picture of eric in 2008 he had spiky hair a lot smaller guy he was sitting in a chair probably late at night 
and he beat the game. He was very excited about beating the game, probably checking his achievement list. And that jump scare scared the crap out of me. It got me this and time because I had no idea it was coming. So when it happened here, I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. So I sat there, and it's like 1.30 in the morning on Halloween night. All right? And I'm sitting there. I know it's coming. <laughs> and it's still, it's still a pretty good little jump scare because it doesn't come from behind. It comes from below and the right. Mm-hmm. And it's a necromorphed version of Nicole. Is what jumps you. Oh, that's what. Yeah, I, I wrote. A, I don't get this ending. <laughs> it's a necromorph version of Nicole. Now, if I remember correctly, when I first played this, I ran off the assumption that like Nicole, like it kills you, because I didn't know if that. But was then Dead Space Two happens, and you're like, oh, I guess not. <laughs> then Dead Space Two happens, so I guess it does. So but, does Dead Space Two start with you fighting on this one ship, uh, De- necromorph Space... Nicole, or does it cut to like a no. while later? Dead Space 2, I want to say, it starts with you being picked up by a ship taking you to this big fancy space station, and then you start in the medical ward. Because I remember there was a sequence in which how you get the plasma cut on Dead Space 2 is it's not like a, a tool. It's like a tool for cutting bodies open, yeah. like a surgical tool. Mm-hmm. And you're tied to the table when an Necromorph is in there trying to kill you, and you're trying to get yourself free to get the plasma cut at the last second to shoot the Necromorph. Mm-hmm. Dead Space 2, I remember having some really good stuff. I might go back and fiddle around uh, with Dead Space 2. I do want to play it. I'm not going to go right away just because I don't want more of this quite yet. I want to play something different, which is why our next game is actually very different than this. Before but we go to our next game. Before we go to our next game, yeah, we need to kind of... Final thoughts. I like this game. I think it's a really good proof of concept as i was saying and i think i would like a dead space 2 more i don't think at least anytime soon i would want to go back and play this game again if i want that survival horror fix i'll just play resident evil 4 for like the fourth or fifth time but or, you know if you really want like a really good survival horror fix you know the resident evil remakes are really I good resident evil 7 is very good yeah um there is good resident evil and not, or it, even Dead Space 2. Like, I wouldn't yeah. mind playing that at some point. Just yeah, I would think... I, my memory says Dead Space 2 is better than this, but it's been rocked a little bit. This is not a bad game. I wonder I, if your opinion of 3 would have changed with time. Because you... I when we t- did about three. this, you hated 3. I didn't finish 3. I remember buying 3 on day 1 and Ouch. hating it. Because I bought days... I remember well, paying $60 for something also kind of shapes things a little bit if more versus getting it free on xbox live gold like i did and so i'm in touch well like um, i mean i bought i remember buying dead space 2 and loving it like that was back when i had some you know i was a i think dead space 2 i was still a single man when i bought that game so i had you know i was buying a lot of video games at that time and uh i remember loving that freaking game and dead space 3 i was you know i you know i think i still like I was, you know, I, I don't think it was the money that I felt wasted. I felt like it wasted the series because I know that Isaac is not the only main character in that series. It's focused on some co-op stuff. It just didn't feel right to me at the time. Um, this is a series that, like I said, people freaking still love to this day. I think a lot of that is derived by two, if I remember correctly. This is a game that's got some serious flaws and it feels like a drag at a lot of points. And maybe the auxiliary stuff too. Like uh, there's comic series, there's anime, there's novels. There's a lot outside of just the games about Dead Space. 
And there is some cool background lore stuff here, like in the text log and stuff, that allude to a more interesting universe outside of this game, where the story is just your generic haunted house survival affair. Yeah. I feel like... Uh... I feel like this. I'm glad we played this. Absolutely, I had a but good time it's, playing uh, this. It's like I, I feel like there was some points where I was like, "Man, I'm dragging, man, I'm mm-hmm. dragging." But I feel like the next game we play. See, that's that. That's a segue, right? That now. is a good you segue. See that segue. That's a nice segue. Somewhere out there, somebody just looked at their uh, their phone and like, ah, see what he's doing. <laughs> see what he's doing there with that segue. So, Eric. Do you know what the uh, day after Halloween is called in Mexican culture? Well, today's the day after Halloween, Michael. Yes. So what well, is when it we're called? recording this, uh, Dia de Huevos Muertos, which is the Day of the Dead. But Michael, yes, I wonder if there is a video game. I wonder if there's a video game that is captures similar that. to that vibe. How about a PC game that was released in 1998 called Grim Fandango, which is now on Xbox Game Pass? Michael, are you saying that we should play? Grim Fandango? I think we should play Grim Fandango. Michael, I've been t- wanting to... When we started this up, I was like, man, at some point, I really want us to play Grim Fandango. Well, Michael, today, since it is Day of the Dead that we're recording this on, mm-hmm. all right, and that works out completely as planned, we didn't have to guess it at all, <laughs> I feel like the only thing we should be able to play now is Grim Fandango. Absolutely. So, Michael, I, I know that we just came to this realization. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But do you know anything about Grim Fandango we can tell the listeners so we can prep them? No, let's see. Like, oh, turns out I have an entire note list on my phone filled Man. with random facts about Grim Fandango. That's see, it really, was meant to be. This was unplanned like... at all. Actually, we joked, but to go into Inside Baseball, we had like two other completely different games planned that we were bouncing between. <laughs> You're ruining the bit, man! And then, and then Grim Fandango was announced to be on Game Pass. I was like, oh crap, we really wanted to play Grim Fandango. Scrap those plans, we're playing Grim Fandango. We were going to play some like old PlayStation 1 games, and we wanted to play something significantly old. Um, we've been in this PlayStation 2 to Xbox 360 era. We've played some modern games. Um, we wanted to go back and we were looking at some PlayStation 1 games, and this is a game from 1994, a PC game. 98. 1998, sorry, 1998. Um, it's an older game, and it's a game that um, is very influential and a part of a generation that I did not play this game when it came out. I was not really into Very PC few games. people played this game when it came out, and I will actually get into that. Because this game was developed by LucasArts and was directed by industry veteran Tim Schafer. A, a name that even if you don't play a lot of adventure games, you've probably heard the name Tim Schafer. He's the guy behind Double Fine Now and a lot of those old LucasArts adventure games. He did Psychonauts. Um, he did the Monkey Island games. He did Brutal Legend. Brutal Legend. Um, he did... Uh, uh, what was the Halloween game he did? Costumes... Costume Quest. He did Costume Quest? I want to say that's a Double Fine game, isn't it? Really? Huh. I think it is. I'm not 100% sure. I might not be. But he he definitely has a, a big thumbprint on the gaming industry for sure. Absolutely. And this game takes place in the Aztec Land of the Dead, but with a film noir influence. So it combines kind of like the 1940s and 50s film noir with uh, the Land of the Dead in a very interesting way. There's no other game that looks and feels like Grim Fandango. No. And uh, it was developed using uh, the new uh, Grim E or Grime engine, 
which was based on the LucasArts Sith engine from the Star Wars Dark Forces games, which would later become the Jedi Knight games. This is also fascinating. This is a time which LucasArts games are making non-Star Wars games, if you think about it. That's fascinating to me, because now, like, towards the later part of LucasArts, that wasn't happening, really. Yeah, it was... They... When you think LucasArts, you think Star Wars games and adventure games, and uh, this game was kind of the beginning of the end for the adventure game genre. It features This game features a stellar voice cast, including Tony Plana, who was in Monk, 24, and JFK, as the main character Manny Calavera, and uh, Maria Canales uh, Barrera, who is a well-esteemed voice actor. She played uh, characters in Danny Phantom. She was Hot Girl in the Justice League cartoon. She was Hot Girl? She was Hot Girl. I freaking she... love that Justice League cartoon. <laughs> I'm not afraid to admit that. She was great in that Justice League cartoon. And yeah, she plays uh, Meche in this game, and she's a very prominent character. So this game has an incredibly talented voice cast, mostly consisting of Latino-Americans. So excellent voice cast here. I'm very excited about this game, man. Yeah, and this game's failure was seen as the beginning of the end for the PC adventure because it was very, very critically acclaimed, but was a commercial failure and was kind of the beginning of the end for the adventure game genre they weren't selling as well on pc this was kind of like near the dark times of pc this was post uh, doom doom 2 quake and all of that so this was kind of i could be wrong with my my pc knowledge is nowhere near as good as my um console knowledge most of my pc knowledge comes from reading the book masters of doom which is an excellent book but uh this was kind of pc gaming was kind of taking the a little dip here around this time uh, this game has amazing style. Um, you look at the game, you're going to see that it, it looks dated. It does, because well, it's from 1998. Mm-hmm. Even the uh, remastered version was just... They don't do a whole lot to it, because the uh, style itself is still pretty uh, good, ultimately. But mostly the remastered version was just a way to get you to play this on modern consoles, because... The only way to play it was with a computer that I think at the latest could run like Windows Millennium. So it was very hard to play this game on modern systems. You had to like do some work to your computer. So when they announced this version, it was like, oh, finally, people can play Grim Fandango again. You know, um, I, I, I talked about how I enjoyed Dead Space being a non-super story-heavy game to do for this show because it was a chance to really delve into the systems of a game mm-hmm. on this kind of format. Um, this is going to be a kind of uh, a unique one because this is a, a genre that is very different than a lot of the games today. The old school adventure game genre, it has some links to games like Yo. Would you say it has some links to like the games like the Life is Strange? Absolutely. Because the... those games are more modern adventure games. They streamline a lot of the puzzle stuff and only focus on story. There's a lot of puzzle stuff here in Grim Vendega, which is why I will say, if you're playing this game for the very first time, like I know you and Nick are going to be playing this game, and someone who's only played half of it, because let me tell you, the puzzle design in this game is very much 1998 computer adventure game, so play this with a guide. Don't be afraid to. You might be thinking like me, who tried to play this five years ago, oh, I don't need a guide, I can figure this out. Don't. Don't. It's... If you didn't grow up with this style of game, this is going to be so obtuse, so confusing, and I don't want you to put you off playing this game because the story in this game and the world of this game is absolutely worth seeing. Play with a guide. 
play with a guide. (laughs) One of the things we talk about this show behind the scenes and what we enjoy about this show is we're trying to do a show that really delves deep into gaming as a, not only as a a pastime, as a hobby, but also into the history of it and kind of hitting highlights of things that we want to either big moments that we feel need to be revisited or moments that might be kind of off the mainstream path. Um, and this is a little of both. Even though yeah. it kind of is off the mainstream path, this game won 1998's uh, GameSpot Game of the Year. Yeah, I mean, like, it's not a, this is not an unrecognized game, but it's something that I feel like if you are someone of a certain generation, of a younger generation, you probably are not aware of this game extremely well. If you are aware of it, you're only aware of it from like, top 10 old school games you didn't play or whatever you know it's it's on a a, lot of people's i'll check that out eventually list (laughs) is a chance really to get into a um kind of a historical look at at gaming and this is one we really wanted to do i agree with michael we're going to put into the show notes of this episode the um a guide that i believe eurogamer eurogamer it's mostly spoiler free like it's all in order but the bold the stuff in bold is like here's how to do this section so you know what to look for as the stuff that you could most likely get stuck on this is what i'm going to do i'm going to tell you how eric's going to play this game um we are i'm going to sit there i'm going to try to complete every single one of these puzzles without the guide Guy's going to be scrolled down with it, and if I can't get it in a reasonable amount of time, I'm going to use the guide. Yep, exactly. Because I don't want to get hung up on something that's going to take away my ability to enjoy this game because of 1998. And you're going to say, Eric, uh, what's the difference on like a modern game? Modern games, I think I hold them to a little bit of a different standard because I can go into one of these adventure games and say from the get-go, yeah, they shouldn't be this obtuse. But from a historical point of view, that's the way these games were. And I'm going to take that in consideration when I play them. Mm-hmm. Compared to if I have a very obscu- uh, obscure, obtuse point in Dead Space or something like that. Yeah. But does that make sense, Michael? Absolutely. Right. Like, this is a game that you uh, want to... If you didn't grow up and were in the era of that game, I imagine it's very hard to, like... If this was... Because if you're only playing, like, adventure games, you're going to be kind of... In the 1990s, you'll be kind of versed on, like, the language and the obtusity of that style of game being in it. But being outside of that for, like, almost 30 years at this point is, like... Games don't play that way anymore. Yeah. They don't. (laughs) It's not fair, I think, to look at it from this perspective and try to not hold it at that that level. So, for sure, man. I really... um... Man, I'm very excited. Yeah, I'm and excited. this game is available on pretty much everything now. The PS4, Xbox One, Switch, PC, iOS, Android, Mac, and Linux. And because if you're planning on getting a new console in these coming weeks, it's going to play on the PS5. It's going to play on the Xbox Series X. This plays on the Vita. I have the Vita version of this game. I don't have a Vita anymore. But I could play the Vita version of this game if I wanted to. <laughs> you could do that. Also, it uh, kind of connects to the three, the PS3. And I have a PS4 version of this game, even though I don't have a PS4. I was just looking, and it goes, you can play this on any of the PlayStation platforms. I'm like, oh, cool. 
So I think I'm going to, even though it's on Game Pass, I think I'm going to play the PS3 version just because I bought this in 2015 and haven't beat it. So I kind of want to beat it on the system I paid money for it for five years ago. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll feel like I wasted that money. <laughs> hey, man. Um, also, if you're interested in these games on Game Pass, they've put Day of the Tentacle and they've play, put, I believe, two other ones of these like late 90s LucasArts adventure games on there. Hmm. Which is a cool kind of addition. It's something on Game Pass that, like, I wouldn't think is like a, a it's not a needle mover, right? Like, they put Rainbow Six recently on there. Rainbow Six Siege. I've been trying to download that game for so long. I've had so many problems trying to download <laughs> all sixty gigs yeah. of Rainbow Six Siege. But like, you know, they add that to the service. People are gonna be like, "Hey, man, that's a big thing to get on Game Pass." These probably get overlooked, but these are the kind of games I think Game Pass really highlights very well this in indie games Mm -hmm. well hey you got nothing to lose man you got nothing to lose download it if you don't like it uninstall it uninstall it in an afternoon they're short downloads it took you it ain't gonna take you any time at all so you can just hop on there this game is four gigabytes that's a godsend yeah four gigs games you freaking be done downloading by the time you get up go get yourself a drink come back (laughs) so yeah you got nothing to lose give it a shot um, we're gonna have a great time talking through with this. Uh, Nick's gonna be with us on this one for sure. He'll I be need back. Nick's opinion on this game. I feel like he'll love I, after. I, oh, we didn't. I didn't specify where the stopping point is. We're gonna be playing Grim Vendango in two parts. This game is divided basically into four acts. There's no hard act cutoff, but this game is divided into four. It's a four-year journey. So we're gonna be playing after the second year. You'll, you'll know the second year because of a pretty reasonable change in style. After that section will be our cutoff. So, so at the year. beginning of year three. Beginning of year three. So Beginning of year three will be our official stopping point for part one. It might not be a perfect cutoff in terms of hours, but it's a good cutoff in terms of story because that's the halfway point of the yeah. story, pretty and much. I've, you said that anticipate around four hours four to five hours depending on if you're playing with a how tight you're using the guide it estimate how long the beat estimates this game at about 11 hours or so but all of the like walkthrough videos i've looked at are about four and a half to seven hours total so i imagine like if you're playing this game straight through you can probably knock this at whole game out in about eight hours total Okay, so four hours is about halfway point. Yeah. But, you know, definitely hop back on. Join us for our next episode. I'm looking forward to this game a lot. Um, I'm probably going to play some of that today just because it is a it's Day of the Dead, man. It's a good time to start a game that's set around you know, Day of the Dead. Um, also, if you are um, Latin American, please forgive me. I'm just going to go ahead and say it from the get-go. My pronunciation of things are going to be bad. Oh my um, Let me tell you about this entire game and yeah. how it's all based on Latin pronunciation of So, things. understand, I'm going to butcher some stuff. It is not meant to be offensive. I, it, I wish with everything in me that I wouldn't be able to, but it's just the way, I, it's just the way it is, guys. I'm, try, I'm going to try my best. But I'm definitely looking forward to this. This is going to be really, really fun. Thank you guys for joining us. Um, like I said, next week, uh, next show, uh, Nick will be back. We also have some really cool stuff planned for the end of the year. Uh, we were talking about doing some stuff around uh, talking about new consoles, talking about uh, 
kind of the end of the year, maybe doing some special episodes. We're coming up on some listener milestones with our uh, listeners. You guys have really been jumping on board, and we really appreciate it. You you guys are the reason we keep going. Just here, seeing like just the numbers every week just has me like going man people actually like hearing my voice this is new well yeah and like I, I, it sounds really arrogant here but understand that it's not meant to be no we really not. enjoy we did this um doing kind of the height of the uh the quarantine and stuff and uh it was a good time just to make an excuse for all of us to get together and hang out and in the, the day that's what this is but um it is really cool to see people jumping on and enjoying the shows and Watch and listening along to us, and we're going to keep doing more stuff. Definitely uh, feedback, feedback, feedback. Uh, iTunes reviews. If you see us on a, we're very big on the Reddit pages for these games. We're putting stuff up on there. If you see something on the Reddit page, comment on there. Tell your friends. Pass the information along. Only thing we're asking for in the grand scheme of things, like I said, we're not asking for any money or at all, anything like that. I would joke around, but we're not. Uh, we just want more people listening and more people kind of jumping on and enjoying this little journey we got. So thank you guys very much. State of the Save is on all your major podcasting platforms. You can send your emails to stateofsave at gmail.com. And uh, thank you guys, man. Stay safe out there. And uh, let's, let's, let's jump into some Grim Fandango. It's going to be fun. Hasta luego. Yeah, that. Mm-hmm.